Hello, it's Mike Richards here from the Treasury Recruitment Company. I hope you're enjoying the Treasury Career Corner. If you are, great news. Perhaps you give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast content. This means that even more Treasury professionals can benefit from finding out or by finding out about how Treasurers have achieved their career goals. The link to rate our show will list at the bottom of our show notes. And please remember as well, the show itself is as much about you as it is about us. If there are specific questions you want us to ask or there's feedback you want to give, please drop me an email. My direct email is mike at treasuryrecruitment.com, inventably enough. But anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get on with the show. So welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview Treasury professionals about how they got started within Treasury, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and, and the Treasury profession going next. In this week's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Royston Costa from Ferguson PLC. Ferguson are a FTSE 100 company. They're the world's leading specialist distributor of plumbing and heating products, serving businesses in the US, UK, and Canada, as I say, they're listed on the stock exchange, doing extremely well. But I've known Royston for many years. We first ever worked together, or I recruited for him back in Seagram days, Vivendi. We first start, started his career. And as I say, let's get Royston straight into the show. Royston, take us back to the dim, distant days. Brush off some of the dust and uh, tell us how you first got started in Treasury. Mike, thank you for this opportunity. I started my career working for a merchant bank called Leopold Joseph in the city in the early 80s. It was my first experience of working for a bank. I really came across my first treasury job at British Satellite Broadcasting, known as BSB then, but currently known as Sky. Very small team, just myself and the group treasurer, Richard Brooke, I remember him well. And interestingly, only uh, we were using spreadsheets in those days. The main kind of focus of the role at the time was really to ensure that we managed our exposures. We had a bit of debt, therefore, typically if you imagine a company, a satellite company, there's a couple of satellites up in the ether that they had to sort of ensure and to fund. And it was really making sure that the shareholders that are investing in NBSB at the time, their funds were being managed efficiently. So there was a lot of interaction with the banks and the rest would, I'd say, would be mainly internal reporting and dealing with finance. And obviously we're looking to, it was a startup in those days. So it was very much trying to ensure that the, uh, the funds that we're receiving in from the subscribers were being invested and, and obviously used to repay some of the debt uh, in a much in as effective way as possible. And then you made a move more into a finance role at Gillette or what, what prompted that? The opportunity to Gillette came up, which was actually Kind of convenient because it was around the corner from the Sky offices. It was a, an interim position where I was uh, involved in uh, intercompany reconciliations for Gillette's group. So it gave me great insight into the, the operations they had globally. The head office, uh, headquartered in Boston, the offices in the UK, which Gillette Corn and Nisworth were significant for managing the international operations in that respect. It certainly gave me an insight, I shall say, into 
virtual relationships and how important it is in treasury that you're able to communicate and persuade stakeholders, particularly when it comes to trying to extract cash out of some of these very challenging areas. And Gillette being the company it is, it, it had operations literally all over the world. I began to support King Arthur Leaf, um, sort of uh, they own walking pens and pavement and those sort of products. So I was kind of involved in that department for about a year, year and a half before I joined Polygram. So talk us through your journey at Polygram and for the, some of the listeners that won't, you know, won't understand those days, you know, back in the days of records and I know. all that stuff. I mean, this is, this is quite, you know, it's just, oh, yeah, like you say, it's quite amusing in some ways when you think back. I mean, all this time I was really working in spreadsheets and uh, there were no TM, there was no treasure management solution. And certainly when I joined Polygram, it would have probably been the first time I came to, I came across rather uh, what I'd call a crude version of what, the early TMSs look like. So Polygram was a music company, sort of branched out into films later on. So Forwarding the Funeral, one of their sort of successes, they partnered with Channel 4 on that. But they were 75% owned by Philips, and then they were eventually acquired, as say, by Seagram's, became part of Universal Music, and then today they're now part of Vivendi Universal. But at the time when I joined, they were using Bank of America's IT system and IT being international treasurer, which is now IT2, part of Wall Street. But it was a very crude version of, uh, of, of a netting solution in those days. Basic, but worked. They had their back office based in the Netherlands, and I was based in the UK. We had a small team again, cash manager, foreign exchange manager. I was a treasury analyst and a group treasurer. I did quite well there, I would say, because I... Basically, after two years, I was promoted to foreign exchange manager, pre-Euro days. So we had a number of European currencies that we managed, seven currency pools, in fact. I supervised one person in that particular role. And then later on, I was promoted to treasury manager. This is just before the integration with uh, Seagram's took place. And with that role itself, you then sort of, it was much more advanced technology-wise than perhaps a lot of its, you know, its peers rather than competitors, you know, Talk us through how different they were in terms of, as you said earlier, they had a netting system and things like that. But what does that mean to, you know, these guys that are just, you know, have always been used to a treasure management system, but you were quite advanced in that sense. The way that the music business works, and certainly in terms of Polygram, they had subsidiaries all over the world and artists that were international. So you can imagine you know, any artist today that has that international exposure uh, meant that in each of these territories, in each of these countries, they would generate royalties. And you know, some people often ask, you know, how do these royalties actually work? Who gets what percentage? And typically, it's still true, I believe, that the artists themselves get a very small percentage of that overall fee but anyway we won't go into that at this stage just to say uh at the time that uh we were looking after or i was looking after the the, the netting system there were 24 countries uh, they were based in 97 participants and savings of up to two million dollars per annum that were realized and what all that did in uh, from a netting perspective it allowed us to s- offset what payables and receivables we had for each territory centrally mm. so we as the center company if you like would look at all the intercompany payables and receivables so it's an intercompany um, payables driven netting system and it meant that we could manage our payments much more efficiently by netting them off by territory and then when we had whatever the uh, net outcome for each of those territories uh, in the central report we would then trade that externally with a bank 
So that would typically include not just the royalties that sometimes were due for some of these artists, but it also included foreign exchange requirements that some of these territories might have, or interest payments, all of those kind of uh, uh, transaction flows that could be included in netting solution. Uh, and it worked really well. And you were there for coming on 10 years when, yes. then how did Wolseley come about and, you know, explain well, who Wolseley are? But before we go to Wolseley, I just need to okay. explain something else. So although you say you're right in South there for 10 years, I actually joined uh, Polygram 93, but then in 98, Seagram acquired Polygram okay. and became a spirits and wines business, a wine business. And that period was very critical for my career, actually, uh, Mike, because actually, funny enough, that's the time we met. Yes. When I joined Seagram, you were at Robert Boxes, if I remember correctly. God, yes. Uh, <laughs> and it was a tough time. It was the first time in my career when I began to really, you know how people talk about, you know, they test your, you, you, test, you find a situation where you test your limits and you begin mm. to, you know, realize how much you can handle and, and what's what. And, and it was great. I mean, I, I mean, it was hard, but it was, it was also a very good experience for me. So for a period of time, for probably about a six eight month period i was literally wearing two hats because what we were trying to do is integrate two large companies they were talking from a treasury perspective admitted the team was quite large we had about 25 people but some of them were consultants mm. but we had a front middle and back office in the front office my recollection we had uh, five five six people just on the front office side so for that six-month period, we were literally running two separate operations. Sigma had a TMS solution called SunGuard. Polygram had the Bank of America DOS IT version, but obviously that migrated onto the SunGuard system. It was tough, but we we, we got through it, and I think it was it's fair to say, I, I you know, it was a success. It certainly also gave me that exposure to not. Again, another international company, but in a wider setting with uh, over, you know, say 20, 25 people in, our, in the whole team. And also being owned by an American company brought an additional dynamic. Although I worked at Gillette, this was much more interactive with the US parent company based in New York. And some people can relate to this. Uh, when you're in, working in a situation like that, in a company like that, you do end up finding yourself working to the US our uh, time frame than the UK time frame. So mm, imagine mm. they finish work at or typically at five o'clock their time. We were probably still in the office at ten o'clock our time. Uh, it wasn't pleasant, but it, you know it had to be done. What happened then was the Bromfen family owned Seagrams decided they wanted to sell off the uh, music part of the business. And and in fact, what they did is they split the spirit and wines, and that was sold to Diage and Pernod Ricard. And the music business was said, sold off to Vivendi. And Vivendi already had a treasury function in, in Paris. And they were much more, let's say, broad brush in their approach to managing risk and uh, exposures. They definitely looked at the 80-20 rule. In other words, 80% of the exposures being pitched was more than sufficient for them. Whereas Seagram's had a different approach is, you know, anything that moved would typically be hedged from their perspective. So they had a smaller team in, in Vivendi and they didn't, yeah, the team in, in, in London effectively will make redundant. Um, I think just one person was taken across to, to Paris from the whole team. So that's when I uh, came across Wolseley in those days, which is Ferguson today. It was an opportunity. It was different for me in terms of obviously Wolseley were 100 company, now 40. But I also saw it as an opportunity to kind of create and effectively devise my own kind of and to some degree the function the operational function i was working in. so i was really brought on to be responsible for the cash management and to manage the group 
day-to-day FX exposures and um, deposits and intercompany loans and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. That was done extremely manually in terms of all done by a spreadsheet. And it was quite incredible to think that back in 2002, a FTSE 100 company, and they were, we were no different to any other company in that, at that time, were using spreadsheets to record the sort of transactions we were recording. And we mm-hmm. talked about something like an eight, nine billion pound turnover company at the time. Um, and it wasn't until about five, six years later, after I joined, that we implemented our first TMS solution. And that also was the reason for that uh, for that decision was driven off the back of regulation, um, IS39 for hedge accounting. Mm. But again, kind of gives you an idea of how within treasury functions, it's not always been um, the first thing on treasurer's minds. When it, you know, in terms of implementing technology, you know, it's, if it ain't broke, why fix it? It's kind of the theme that comes, comes up time and time again. And when you've been looking at sort of treasury and your role, how have you prioritised it? You know, I'm talking about, have you been sort of banging on the treasurer's door saying, look, we need to do this and bring this in? Or what's been your reason for you know, bringing in technology? Um. <laughs> it's a it's a good question, but it's almost it's, it, it, it it does make me smile now when you think of today, and it's hard, isn't it? Because we know that you know if you look back five ten years ago, you're absolutely right to ask that question. In fact, that was the very question that would be in the top of my mind oh, when I spoke to my treasurer. But today, it's it's comical to think in those terms because everyone's accepted. I think, or most people accepted that technology is the way forward in whatever business you're in, and in terms of trying to be competitive and getting the edge and so on and so forth. But to answer your question, I, I go back to what I said earlier. It's always been about what do I need to do primarily in terms of my role to make sure I'm adding value. It could be a, to do with technology. In most cases, it has been, but not necessarily always that because treasury, as you probably appreciate, Mike, it's about the process a lot of the time. Oh. It's making sure the processes are efficient, secure, and you know, cost effective. Obviously, lots has changed in terms of technology in the last few years. Mm. Uh, particularly, I like to draw this statistic uh, to, be, to, to, to your listeners' minds. Before the year 2006, none of these products existed. And these are just a selection of the ones I'm sure most people recognize. Yeah. The iPhone, iPad, Spotify, Netflix, Uber. You know, I could go on and list of, of, of quite a host, uh, list of others. But the point yeah. I'm making here is that these are companies today that everyone recognizes and interacts with uh, and accepts as normal, as, as the norm. So therefore, it also kind of highlights the fact that we have moved, um, times have moved, and, and, and there's only thought, what's 12 years, 13 years ago, mm. um, these companies didn't exist. As much as we talk about technology and it's part of our lives uh, in treasury as much as individuals, we are not technical experts. We're not IT experts. Right. And it's important to bear that in mind when we think of things like cybercrime because IT are very much the experts when it comes to looking at cloud-based solutions and, and then security and all that good stuff. We're treasurers, and what I think we are called to do, and this is what I've always looked at, and this is going back to addressing your question, is what is it that we need to do or can we use in terms of either 
be it a technology or be it a solution or be it a process that will enable us not only to do our job better and more efficiently, but add value. And at the end of the day, always, always have to be conscious about security and uh, ensure that we protect, uh, mitigate the risk to our companies, the companies we work for. And when you're doing this, when you're implementing this technology, are you wanting a return on investment insofar as you bring in the technology and it's saving us the cash on, you know, you might bring in, you know, say FX or for your, or, you know, for your foreign exchange or there are various other systems, there are other systems out there, or are you wanting clarity over your risks or all of the above? How do you sort of split out the return, if you like? Great question again. So there's my approach to any solution, technology or otherwise, but mainly technology is for, our pillars, if I can put it that way, yeah. that define what 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 we what we look at and whether we implement it or not. Number one, visibility. When I say visibility, I'm not thinking of just cash management visibility and knowing where our cash is. I'm talking about visibility of every transaction within Treasury. So your risks, your flows, your controls. It's getting that visibility that historically yeah. we've never had the opportunity to have, even if what our businesses are doing at a local level, because we are fairly decentralized business. Connectivity, so important. This is part of the future-proofing landscape that we have at Ferguson, where in terms of the systems we have, we believe they are future-proof to connect with, as long as the other system has similar kind of up-to-date technology uh, and be integrated. And the, the name of the game for us and for me is automation. That's what's driven a lot of what we've implemented here again at Ferguson since um, since we've had senior, man, senior new senior management in 2010. Security goes without saying. It has to be a secure system and solution. And we don't just, I just don't mean that it's, it's, it sounds good. I mean, you could say like a Google or an Amazon, they're secure. I mean, they're large companies, they're bound to be secure. We go through a very lengthy process. I say lengthy in terms of detail, looking at the contracts, looking at the certification around uh, SOC 1, SOC 2 compliance, uh, and obviously internal audits involved, our IT experts involved. We do all of that. We do the pen testing. You know, we have to get make, make sure that in terms of our group's requirements, that these systems meet those requirements before we can um, kind of put the business case before our CFO. Mm. And then in terms of efficiencies, which is kind of what you initially asked for, but yeah. I want you to be aware that for us, it's not just the cost savings because that's very much part of the business case, but it, it's, it's a whole, it's a four pillars. And I would say in terms of technology, it's not always the first thing that you would or, you know, be able to demonstrate as a business case in terms of implementing the technology. I would like to think that most solutions that are implemented will, will give you a cost saving. It has to in terms of being more efficient. But there are cases where those cost savings aren't particularly uh, not easy to quantify. And what I mean by that is particularly today, if you look at companies like I said, when I first joined Walls, then they were using spreadsheets. And you try and argue, or if you wanted to argue, well, you should be using a TMS solution. The first question they'll have is, well, why do I need a TMS solution when a spreadsheet is just as good? And it does what it says, 
I don't need the sophistication of a system and why do I need that cost? My, 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 my response would be simply this. Today's world with the amount of regulation that's come up and will come up and the risks that we run uh, in terms of cybercrime, I don't think you can afford not to look at a ideally cloud-based solution. And the reason I say cloud is because I believe the cloud's offering a lot more security, frankly, than, than, than other potential solutions I've looked at. This is the big area I feel that we're looking at next in terms of treasury. It's whether you want to use the different terms that are bandied out there, like big data or AI, et cetera, et cetera. My view is that data is, and they do say data is a new currency, but my view is that data is the key to helping us in terms of treasury manage sort of and, and improve cash flow forecasting. It's just in terms of how do we get that technology and the right solution to harness always the hardest, but to collate that information in a simple and, and, and in an efficient way. Usable fashion, yeah. That's what we're doing with our US colleagues. And when we, when I've spoken to other Treasury guys about technology and the rise of it, one of the things that seems to have come through, you know, people have been saying for quite a while, oh, you know, we're going to be replaced by robots and all that malarkey. But in actual fact, what we found, and certainly our discussion is that you know, let's use a UK example. If there were two treasury analysts stroke dealers who were doing their roles and they were particularly focused on some of this cash management stuff and things like that, and they would say, oh, well, they're going to be automated out of their jobs. They're not. Basically, what they are, a lot of the tasks that they might do, you know, you might find a cost saving because you'd have two 40K uh, people actually, but the same job would be done by one treasury manager at 60k so you've got an immediate cost saving of instead of two people doing it but one person yeah greater focus on that one person and then technology helping them do their roles have you seen that sort of as a direct impact into your role and the department and things because i think you said before we had a call before that you you guys are doing more with the same amount of people would that be right that's absolutely right mike and and my view i feel very strongly about this is that technology come on a strong opinion let's get on the show come on technology (laughs) does not in my view certainly when it comes to treasury replace people or role it replaces processes Mm. i think that's the key to remember i mean look at my career and what i did when i first started off and frankly a lot of the companies i worked for apart from the sequel situation where there were two companies being merged Mm. The average size of the teams have always been around five. Yeah. That's what we are here at Ferguson. Treasury's always, uh, certainly generally, most companies that, for, you know, say, that have treasury functions have generally been around five, five to six, maybe 10. The point I'm trying to make here is that we've always had to manage the responsibilities that we've had within treasury, almost regardless of how, you know, sort of big or small the company was in that respect. And you know, if we got some more work, we just had to kind of take that flex what's different now in my views for this that where we've had processes like downloading statements and downloading market data and the very manual process and you're requiring someone to press a button to download that that information you've got technology that does that for you and yes there's a time saving so therefore you could argue what does that what do you do that person or a role that person has is purely doing that my view is that in terms of what we've done at Ferguson, since I've been here, we've not lost, we've not made anyone uh, redundant because of technology. And part of that reason is because 
as the company's grown, because of the fact that the technology we've had has future-proofed us, it's enabled us to actually deal with the growth that the company is experiencing. But more importantly than that, in my view, it also then allows us to go into the business. And that's the bit where I think we really add value or potentially add value because we're then partners with our business. And this is talking about Ferguson being a fairly decentralized type of uh, business culture. To stand by them, uh, often the expertise we have, but also then often the support that they require when it comes to either looking at the new technology or implementing something uh, that they feel they, they need. So for me, it's about the fact that Treasury has had to evolve. And I don't think, you know, in terms of the historic view that um, uh, some people have had about the fact that roles have to be done in this way and they have to be pressing buttons. And, you know, if we don't have that person pressing the button, then, you know, we're going to we're, we're lose people and, and so on and so forth. I think it's the question of recognizing where do you want to get to? If you want to stay competitive and you want to move forward and you want to make sure your future proves, you have to recognize that technology is a facilitator. As long as you recognize that and also have a roadmap for your, for your treasury function, so that the people that you have can be actually, let's say, developed and trained into, instead of just pressing that button to download that data, they could be interrogating the reports from the businesses about their cash flow forecast. Making intelligent decisions as a result of it. Yeah. And yeah. then just one other thing to mention, Mike, very cool. quickly. The ATT issued a slide on one of the training courses uh, about a year ago, which I picked up, and they're quite happy for me to share that which lists 23 different areas of a company that a treasurer could be responsible for. And this, I think, has been a dramatic uh, significant uh, factor since the economic crisis, 2008. What that means to me is it states, well, there's a number of things it states, but at least this I can say. There's no question that treasury is a major stakeholder for the business today. I don't think many, pe many people would argue against that. But the other factor to bear in mind is as a result of that, I think since the crisis and the fact that the credibility of the treasurer in particular has increased with the board and the CFO, the treasurer and treasury functions are being given more responsibility for areas that I would say historically have yeah. perhaps not sat on the treasury. Well, in their remit. Exactly. And yeah. a few examples of things like almost like investor relations, yeah, I know pensions is probably probably a bit more uh, yeah. understand. Again, this is the part where I say technology is so helpful because in taking care of the more routine, mundane tasks, you, the treasurer, the treasury function can actually really focus on those areas that yeah. are going to add value and make us more competitive. And is that slide you know publicly available? Yes, or is that... I can send that to you. Well, what I'll do, if, if it's all right, we'll, we'll include a link to that slide for anyone listening in the show notes so you guys can have a look at that. You've, Royston, you just talked there about, you know, Treasury as a whole and everything else, and this is about you, this, this show as well. What would you say has been key to your success? What's your personal ethos within you about, right, I've got up today, I've gone in, what are you focusing on each day or what's your each week, each month? Where are you you know, going in your treasury journey as you was in Royston? Yeah, so it's a fair question. I mean, the, the fact is that what I've done so far, I've been fortunate in terms of the companies I've worked for, in terms of the uh, people I've worked with and um, 
in terms of my boss, um, Phil Scott, who's been very supportive of my role here and in terms of the digital strategy I'm responsible for, for in terms of treasury for our group. So driver, without wanting to repeat myself, are those four uh, pillars I mentioned to you earlier. But in, me, in terms of me personally as well, it's really looking ahead and trying to recognize and capture those, whether it's technologies or solutions that will benefit our group, business I work for primarily. But I'm always about also looking at where it could make life simpler for people and our business. I mean, I'll give you an example. Historically, when you work in treasury, there's kind of disconnect there, I say, between what you did in treasury on a day-to-day basis and your customer, your end customer. Mm. Whether it was a B-Sky B or Universal Music or uh, Seagram's. Today, I think in terms of treasury and any other part of the business for that matter in, in, in a company like ours, you cannot afford to ignore that the man on the street, the woman on the street, are looking for a particular level of experience or service, more so than just a product. And so in terms of treasury, if you think of payments, customers, public, want to be able to engage with us in a seamless and effortless way. That's what I think people look for. I certainly do. So from a treasury perspective, we're always looking, I'm always looking for solutions that would enable us as a business to be able to provide that service. And in some ways it's internally, but in a lot of ways it could be externally as well in terms of how we collect cash, how we allow our customers to make payments and all that good stuff. And so that's kind of what I'd say to you in terms of what am I looking for? It's from a personal base, I want to try and make sure that in my role, I'm adding the value and capturing those sort of future-proofing solutions that are out there that make sense for our business. And so certainly from a, from a company perspective, I would, I would like to think that uh, we as a group will benefit from that and my colleagues around the group would you know, sort of benefit from that and recognize and, 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 and be able to share, you know, sort of that's another good thing about the Ferguson Group. We believe very strongly in sharing best practice internally. Mm. Um, I sometimes ask at this point, you know, as we approach the end of the podcast, sort of a bit more recruitment focus about people focus on what you look for when you're recruiting. But it sounds like you've got a pretty stable team and there's been limited sort of recruitment, unless you've not been telling me, which, uh, you know, you should have been calling me. Um, But when you're recruiting or when you have recruited, what's been your recruitment ethos? What are you looking for? Are you looking, right, show us all the the qualifications under the sun, please? Or, you know, what makes people stand out? Is it their personality, ethos, approach to treasury, any of the above? What, What do you look for in people? So I think, you, you know, we have to, I would have to say from a treasury perspective, because we are I'm not saying we're extra special, you know, we should be set apart from everyone else, but there's a certain level of skill set that, you know, I think, it, you know, you need to have when you work in treasury. And paramount, uh, obviously, certainly qualifications go without saying, you know, whatever profession you, you, you choose to work and if you want to progress, you need to have the appropriate qualifications. But very much alongside of that is so important is someone who can, who's able to work with other people. And, and I just mean work in a glib sense of the word, but in terms of being able to deal with different 
cultures and different personalities. What you can't have is someone who's shy in terms of not willing to go out and meet with their colleagues or certainly third parties. We deal with a lot of banks. You have to be, and of course, some of the work that we do, like, you know, sort of, let's say, foreign exchange trading and that sort of thing, you have to be fairly bold, very confident cool. to do that type of transaction activity. So, you know, for me, it's it's very much making sure that the person is, as the usual kind of cliches come up, rounded. Cool. But, I think it's also interesting in this day and age, uh, you probably come across this quite a lot, Mike. It's very important, I think, that we approach it with a, you know, the, the diversity debate is very sort of strong. And, and I, I think it's inclusiveness is much more the kind of the, the, the theme that's used nowadays. But I think it's, 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 a, it's, it's quite important to recognize that because McKinsey, the Global Institute report that's uh, been issued the last five, six years, time and time again has demonstrated scientifically how a diverse team uh, generates a much higher return on investment than one that isn't. Mm. I think all that sort of is saying really is that, you know, you want to make sure that your team has different uh, skill sets, let's say. Uh, and then obviously in the whole mix, uh, you want someone who is open to technology as well, because I don't think today, and I don't think you have an issue with that, frankly, particularly with the new generation or this current generation Z, mm. or they've grown up on, yes. I mean, you know, mobile phones or anything before then kind of is the question you get asked when you when you speak to, to that generation. Certainly my daughter's all in that. So you want someone who's able to interact with technology. And I think that's the general expectation when they come into, into, into the workplace anyway. We okay. We've touched on this a little bit just before we wrap up. You you touched on the future of Treasury. Obviously, technology is the future, and everything else is development of that. And we've talked about that strategically. And you talked and touched on automating payments, increasing visibility, cash flows, and things like that. But you know, we've got other things. You've got blockchain. You've got AI and everything else. But where do you see Treasury going to in the future? You know, if if I'm recruiting a treasure position five or 10 years from now as a recruiter, what, what's that, you know, what am I going to be recruiting for? To be honest with you, this is something, and again, a brilliant question because uh, I am again, key to, to, to highlight this. We talk about technology, as you say, and we talk about blockchain AI. I don't for one second believe that we lose sight of what treasury is still in terms of its core values, about. Right. You, we're still going to need treasures and treasury functions that can um, can manage the risk around the uh, liquidity management, around the FX exposures, around the you know sort of um, cash flow forecasting. None of those uh, areas will really disappear. I think in terms of the way that companies operate, I think the big difference will occur in terms of what will the future treasury function look like? Overwhelming thoughts of sort of kind of envisaged in some ways, because I always sometimes kind of take a step back in terms of context and, and, and scale. And it's a bit sort of um, out of context potentially, but world's population is 7 billion, right? And in terms of the number of people that actually have access to the internet, just under 4 billion. A lot more people have access to uh, smartphones, about 5 billion. The reason I'm saying this is, Mike, because simply this, the degree to which um, 
people, companies have access to a global market is huge. From where we are currently, and coming back to the question in terms of treasury, to where we will be, and potentially in terms of what could be achieved. So I could say in, say, let's say 10 years' time, in, let's say in the Ferguson treasury team, I could still see as kind of for the same number of people potentially, but with a lot more, surrounded by a lot more technology. Mm in how we interact. Now, that's the key in my view. So if you take your, and that slide I was referring to earlier, there's 23 different areas. I don't see a lot of those areas changing. Those responses still be there. Mm. What I do see is how we manage those responsibilities changing. And the and tools we use. The tools we use. And, and, and then it comes down to the question of speed, accuracy, and who does it well and who does it best mm. and this is where some of the banks will need to up their game and they are doing that already as far as i can see so that's the kind of thing i'm thinking in terms of, and you say about recruiting for the future i don't see your remit changing in terms of the core kind of competencies that you would need to look for in in a treasurer mm. um, you would definitely need to sort of see the mindset being different in terms of the openness to technology and being able to adapt and to be able to be more kind of uh, dynamic and agile. I think that's unfortunately mm -hmm. not a bad thing, but it's something that is beginning to focus more and more companies in terms of what they're looking for. But I think in terms of how that team will look, it's just going to be the environment. Mm. If the environment is going to change. Royston, you've obviously had some of your work recognised, so I know that you're not blowing your own trumpet as such, but there have been awards. You know, you've got things through the banks have sort of said, oh, well done for doing this, and some of the other, you know, providers and stuff. What, what sort of stuff have you got? You know, this is your chance. I know you're not, you're, you're naturally quite a modest man, but tell us some of the awards you've got and things, because obviously they're recognising the work you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Mike, for asking that question. But it's you're right. I mean, I don't particularly want to um, blow my own trumpet, but I think it's worth for your listeners at least being aware that sometimes, you know, I talked about how not to be afraid of getting involved and not afraid of rolling up your sleeves. And sometimes it's nice to know that it doesn't go unnoticed. Mm. So certainly in that respect, I would say some of the areas, and I, I feel kind of proud in some ways that I've been invited to sit on a corporate advisory committee of one of our partnership banks, really, you know, sort of specifically around technology. And also one of the uh, treasury event organizers asked me to join their advisory board, but also then being recognized as the by TMI's corporate award in treasury innovation excellence for future proofing treasury. Because obviously, you know, at the end of the day, let's be clear, this is not just me. It's always about working in a team and also working for a company like Ferguson who've constantly sponsored and supported me as much as anyone else that works in the team and, and for this company. So it's good to know that it's hard work, but it's also good to know that this doesn't go unnoticed and you do get rewarded for it at the end of the day. The yeah, and you get the recognition. And you get the recognition. It is, yeah, it's worth doing. Someone looks at back at your career and they go, actually, that, that looks pretty cool. You know, all the way from Vivendi through Ferguson and some of the stuff you've done. If someone's wanting to do replicate yours and say, actually, that sounds like the sort of journey I'd like in my career, what final words of advice would you give? For me, it's about determination. And, and again, not just persevering, not giving up. I would also add to that, it, and especially in treasury, I've found 
you cannot afford to not roll up your sleeves and you know sort of get them to get your hands dirty and by that i mean what i've found in most of the roles i've been in i've had to do that and it's regardless of whether i started off as a treasure analyst or when i got to managing the operations at seagrams and in my current role as assistant group treasurer small teams inevitably you're going to have to do that anyway but it's not just that it's about having that mindset that no task or job is beyond me doing because of the fact that i haven't had this experience and i'm at this role and the same goes for all of our team including our group treasurer but in that camp maybe five, 10 years ago, because as treasurers, we're very concerned with, we cannot afford to be too cutting edge or bleeding edge, as they say. But I think in today's world, you can afford to be, a, not saying risque or, you know, sort of try something that you haven't tested. A lot of that takes place anyway. But when I say try, don't be afraid to try new things. I mean, by looking at the solutions that are out there, oh. you don't have to, subscribe to them on day one but you can try them you can they have these what they call sandboxes for a lot of the solutions that you get out oh, yeah. and once you've satisfied yourself and gone through the due diligence i've, I've described earlier you know the world's your oyster practically go for it royston thanks for your time today you can uh, see royston yeah. at a number of different events he's um extolling the virtues of technology and and actually but properly links it in with with treasury which is fantastic and uh yeah as i say in the show notes link to royston he's a great guy to know and i'm sure you'll see him on a stage somewhere near you thank you very much for today's show royston and uh, look forward to the future the future's bright and full of technology look forward to it as well mike and thank you for this opportunity pleasure thanks very much Take care.